Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. Hi, this is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Practice Hack of the Week. Learning a concerto, or Bach partita, Paganini caprice, and so on, takes many hours of diligent, solitary practice, which can be pretty engrossing at times, but also pretty lonely. So when I was introduced to chamber music and experienced what it was like to work together with a group of friends on the same piece of music, it didn't feel at all like practicing. Partly because there were times when we did more goofing off and chatting than rehearsing, and of course there were days when rehearsing devolved into heated arguments about bow strokes and character, and how mezzo, a particular mezzo forte, really ought to be. But more clearly than in any other setting, trios and quartets allowed me to feel the magic that can happen when a group of people are totally playing in sync with one another. Looking back, I think part of this magic came from being connected not so much to our parts, but each other, where there was something new or unpredictable being created. Moments where someone would throw in a cheesy glissando with a wink, or take the fast movement a smidge faster, knowing full well that the pianist would probably kill them afterwards. These spontaneous, unpredictable, improvisational moments could be thrilling, and were often the focus of post-performance reflections. But there were plenty of times when these unplanned risks didn't quite pan out, like when I'd be inspired to try a new fingering in the moment and get stuck in an awkward position. So on the balance of things, what role should this improvisatory approach to performing play and performances? Is it a good thing? As in, does it enhance the listener's experience? Or does it result in playing that feels pretty awesome to the performers in the moment, but to the listener, actually sounds a little sloppy? A multidisciplinary team of researchers designed a study to see what effect an improvisational state of mind would have on both the performers and the audience. To make things as realistic as possible, the researchers set up a small chamber music performance for an audience with varying levels of experiences in classical music. And the evening's music was provided by a professional voice flute piano trio that had formal training and experience in improvisation. The trio performed each piece on the program two times in a row, once with a more traditional approach, i.e. strict mode, and another time with a more improvisatory mindset which they called let-go mode. But these were done in random order, so the audience wouldn't know which one was which. The emphasis of strict mode was on, quote, technical precision, timing coordination, 
accuracy of the score's details, avoiding risks while at the same time creating the most convincing and expressive performance possible. Conversely, in let go mode, the musicians were asked to, quote, play freely as they would do for friends, expressing themselves spontaneously and not putting an imperative focus on no wrong notes. After each piece, the audience was asked to rate the performance from one to six in five different areas. The degree to which the performance was one, improvisatory in character, two, innovative in approach, three, emotionally engaging, four, musically convincing, and five, risk-taking, where one equals not at all or none, and six equals totally or completely. So, were there meaningful, noticeable differences? To illustrate exactly what changed when the performers adopted a more improvisational approach, the study provides a brief analysis of one of the pieces on the program. Schubert's The Shepherd on the Rock. There were six key areas of contrast between the regular or strict performance and the improvisational or let-go version. First was timbre. There was a wider range of tone and color in the improvisational version. Second was dynamics. The improvisational version also had greater dynamic range. Then there was tempo. Interestingly, the improvisational version was slower, averaging 88 beats per minute, as opposed to 92 beats per minute for the regular version. However, when listening back, the performers thought that the improvisational version felt faster due to more forward movement. Which takes us to four, pulse and meter. Specifically, the lines were longer in the improvised version. Rather than thinking in terms of smaller beats, the pulse was often felt in whole bars, sometimes over two bars, which ironically is more faithful to what Schubert's phrasing marks in the score suggest. Five was risk-taking. Despite making some clear departures from the written score, for instance, improvising notes that weren't in the music, the performers were actually more in sync at key moments, like at ends of phrases and harmonic resolutions, while they were performing improvisationally. This suggested more clear evidence of something that they called mind reading, which alludes to moments in the performance where one of the performers would add some new notes, and the another performer would immediately match this gesture with some improvised notes of their own. So how did this affect the performer's experience? Well, the short version is that in the improvised performances, the performers felt a greater sense of connection. Quote, In the let-go mindset, we all reported a stronger sense of connection between the three of us. We listened better to each other and responded to each other in the moment. They also seemed to enjoy a more optimal mental experience as well, noting that, quote, The strict mindset also resulted in Thibault and I reporting more self-conscious performances, increased levels of performance anxiety, and more internal critical chatter. So the improvisatory mindset certainly seemed to enhance the musician's experience of performing. But what about the audience? Did the let-go performance make any difference in the listener's experience? Well, as you can probably guess, the answer is yes. Indeed it did. Despite not knowing which performance was which, the audience rated the improvisational performances as being more emotionally compelling and musically convincing. 
I imagine that formal training in improvisation and composition would help facilitate and provide concrete tools for cultivating this kind of improvisatory state of mind. But I think this is something anyone can play around with too, wherever one's music theory chops may be at the moment. After all, whether it's sound, color, dynamics, pulse, phrasing, and so on, these are all the things I remember spending a lot of time experimenting with and arguing about in chamber music rehearsals. Which was not only fun, but in hindsight, gave me a much greater understanding of how to approach my own solo repertoire, too. <laughs>